0: Thank you for joining the online ministry of Little River Church. May you be blessed by the Word of God. He was the riverboat gambler of the patriarchs, a master of sleight of hand and fancy footwork, which had gained him a reputation of getting what he wanted by hook or crook or both. Twice he he dealt hidden cards to his dull-witted brother Esau in order to climb the family tree. He once pulled the wool over the eyes of his own father, a trick especially dirty since his father's eyes were rather dim. But this ensured him a gift he would have never received otherwise. He later conned his father-in-law out of his best livestock, and when no one was looking, he took the kids and the cattle and he ran. For him, the ends always justified the means. His cleverness was outranked only by his audacity. His conscience was callous just enough to let him sleep. And his feet were just fast enough to keep him one step ahead of the consequences. That is until Jacob reached the river of Jabbok. And then we pick up the story where everything began to change. Genesis chapter 32 verses 22 through 24. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants, and his 11 sons, and passed over the ford of Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook, and he sent over all that he had, and Jacob was left alone. There's a moment in your life to where nobody can give victory for you, to where it's just you and God. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled, A man with him till the breaking of day. This wasn't the first encounter with God that Jacob had, because in Genesis 28, when Jacob was fleeing the wrath of his brother Esau, he falls asleep on a stone and dreams of a ladder stretching between heaven and earth, surrounded with angels. God stands at the top of the ladder and promises Jacob the land of Canaan. And when Jacob awakes, he anoints the stone with oil. And he names that place Beth El. Beth, the house, El, the generic name of God, the house of God. So when you when you get to Jabok, Jacob knows his life, his life has already had an encounter with God, but yet he's still swindling and lying and doing everything that Jacob does, and now he's getting ready to have a counter. But then you fast forward. Simeon and Levi's violence, his son, and avenging their sister's honor, had Jacob terrified for his life. And in the midst of this fear, because God's timing is never accidental, he spoke something to Jacob in the middle of this crisis. And we read Genesis 35 and 1, the command of God to Jacob. Then God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel. And dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And I want to preach to you for the next 35 minutes to an hour and a half on this topic. The mud of Jabbok and the call of Bethel. The mud of Jabbok and the call of Bethel. God, I need you today. God, I need your anointing. I want to preach to these great people your word, God. I want to give them what you've given me. I want to say it with unction and power and anointing, God. I don't want my flesh to get in the way. I want your spirit to take over. Let there be a flow in this place that lives be changed and direction be given. In the name that's above every other name, we ask it to be done. Someone shout in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And before you see it, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <laughs> Maybe seated. I've always loved music but if i can be honest it's really never loved me back growing up almost everyone in my family could sing or play multiple instruments and you know they were gifted in that area but not old josh i tried i tried the drums i tried the bass tried the acoustic guitar but to no avail i even convinced the worship leader at the church i was raised around to give me a lead part in a song one time he's an old time god Yes, he is. Y'all may sing it now. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. I'll tell you what, I feel feel a saying coming on in just a minute. I sing it once, and for some reason after that, they never sang that song again. Matter of fact, they acted like it didn't even exist. I would ask them about it, and they would say, we've never heard of that song. And I would look at them and say, well, we just sang it last week. What do you mean we've never heard of that song? I even begged my great-grandmother. It's how desperate I was. I begged my great-grandmother, my granny, to tell them that it was her favorite song and that she wanted to hear me sing it again one last time. I thought surely granny can force their hand, and, and, and they'll, let, they'll let old Josh have his moment in the lights again, but to no avail. They just ignored her. You know you can't sing if Granny can't even get you a part in a song. Now, some of you are laughing, but I've heard you sing along during service, and Granny wouldn't be able to help you either this morning. I mean, You know, don't look at anybody right now. I heard you singing this morning. So to be honest, I don't have any musical ability, but I have an opinion about music. And in my opinion, the greatest songwriters and singers of all time are storytellers. That may not be the most polished or technical singers, but they unmask their emotions and connect, connect you to the song's meaning. The most effective songs resonate beyond the notes. If, 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 if that singer can tell a story, then those chords of truth echo in the hearts of the audience that bring the song home and eventually make it singer, storyteller, a household name like Johnny Cash. The man in black who is considered to be one of the greatest of all time. Most of the millennial generation doesn't remember him. And what they know of him came from a movie produced years ago called Walk the Line. Where the image painted of Cash's life is surrounded by fame, alcohol, drugs, and hard living. But, but what you may not have known about this troubled man was how he grew up around church. And that about a quarter of the songs he wrote were gospel songs or about God. Even he recorded. Johnny Cash recorded the King James Version New Testament in his own voice. Can you imagine? In the beginning. I tried. I reached I reached a long way for that. Brother Kyle done rubbed off on me. Not funny at all. He even appeared in numerous Billy Graham crusades. Many say his most remarkable quality was empathy. Cash felt what others felt, and his most famous recordings were the ones he made in prisons, especially his two shows at Folsom Prison. He seemed at home there. Cash didn't see himself as better than those men. He understood people. He understood those inmates, and they loved him for it, and America loved Cash for it. He didn't sing to the less fortunate. He sang for them, and he sang with them. Now, hear me today. I'm not trying to make Johnny Cash into a saint, but I am trying to remind us of the old adage, never judge a book by its cover, because some of you wouldn't be here today if somebody judged a book by its cover. And if you do, if you look at Johnny Cash and you just You judge a book by its cover. You would have never known the man in black's faith meant something to him. So much that he was in constant conflict because he knew how far he was from God. He knew that his behavior was everything against the way he had been raised. And before recording his second gospel album, Cash's faith had hit an all-time low. And Cash said, I was a little ashamed of myself at the time because of my hypocrisy of it all. There I was singing the praises of the Lord and singing about the beauty and peace you find in him. Yet I was stoned and miserable. I was so high, he said, I was climbing the walls. There was an obvious war raging within cash, and it came out through his music. His song, I Walked the Line, written in about 30 minutes, was meant to express his desire to live a good life, but the lines for cash were always blurred, and the people closest to him never knew what Cash they would face. His bass player said John R. Cash was one of the greatest human beings who ever walked the face of the earth, but Johnny Cash was probably the greatest jerk that ever lived. He had become two different people. On the one hand, he was one of the kindest human beings you could imagine, and then something would trigger him, and he would, he'd come back in the room a totally different person. Don't point at anybody right now. Some of you are looking at your spouse. He's preaching about you. So you got John R. Cash, the kind, soft-spoken, compassionate person who was raised in church, read God's word, and loved the Lord. But then you had Johnny Cash, the egocentric, pill-pushing, driven man who was on a course of self-destruction. And if I had to compare Johnny Cash to anybody in the Bible, his life sounds a lot like Jacob. At times, Jacob was the best man on earth. He built altars, blessed his children, and envisioned the future world of hope so different from the present world of hurt. God called him Israel when Jacob acted this way. A prince chosen of God. But then there was the other times when he was the worst man on earth. He swindled his brother twice. He swindled his father-in-law. He cheated, connived, and taught those around him to do the same. And those times call him Jacob, the supplanter and the usurper. Two men. Occupying one frame. A war within. But let's be real. This war happens to everyone. Robert Louis Stevenson, who, who wrote Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, said this, "And each of us two natures are at war, the good and the evil. All our lives the fight goes on between them, and one of them must conquer. But in our own hands lies the power to choose what we want most to be we are. Mark Twain also wrote about it. Huck Finn's dad, the town drunk, was diagnosed with a good angel on one shoulder telling him to do right and a bad angel on the other shoulder telling him to do wrong. Two natures, two angels, a battle. Cornality, spirituality. Good versus evil. Well, preacher, is that biblical? Well, it is. Romans 7, Paul writes about it. Paul said, I find in a law, Romans 7, verses 21 through 25, I find in a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Verse 24, this is Apostle Paul. Look at what he says, oh, wretched man that I am. The guy who wrote majority of the New Testament tells us about this dual nature. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But I love verse 25. I thank God through Christ our Lord. Paul tells us in order to resolve the inner war, God must come into the picture of our lives in order to help us be who God wants us to be. Paul would tell you that laying flat on his back on the Damascus Road was the greatest experience of his life. A heavenly intervention was necessary. He didn't rely on his free status as a citizen of Rome. He didn't rely on the, his superior education at the feet of Gamaliel. He didn't rely on his language skills and intele- intellect from that day forward. Paul realized that the voice uh, that spoke to him from heaven was the one who resolved the inner war. Paul said, i have never been. Been able to win it on my own I would have never been able to do it on my own but one day God showed up and Jesus spoke to me and from that moment on my life was changed Good. Paul needed a divine interruption and then he follows that with chapter 8 verses 1 through 2 there's therefore no now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And then he goes on, verses 4 through 6. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk. Talking about Johnny Cash, walked the line. Who walk not after the flesh, but who reach for the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit do mind the things of the Spirit. Paul said, I don't want to be carnal and reach for fleshly things. Paul said, I want to make sure that I'm reaching for the spiritual things. Because to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I'm going to be honest today. The law of sin and death is like gravity. You can't really escape it. You got up this morning thinking you had victory and sin began to pull on you and tug on you and tug on me. You, you leave an altar on Sunday and you think you got it all figured out only to wake up on Monday and realize this is going to be an everyday battle. Can I, believe, can, I, can I be honest? The old man really isn't going to go anywhere. You can bury him, but he's always going to show up and knock on your door trying to get back in because the battle will always rage within us. But you got to make a question. You got to answer a question the law of sin and death is like gravity it inherently pulls you down no matter how high you jump but the law of the spirit overrides gravity it's like climbing aboard an airplane where the laws of aerodynamics apply you cannot get rid of the law of gravity sin is always going to be knocking at the door the old man's always going to be around but you can transcend it the spirit's law transcends the law of sin that the sin no longer controls the agenda and where I stop giving in to fleshly things and I start are picking up on spiritual things yeah. the word walks or the word walk refers to an entire way of life and it has three concepts embedded in it first it implies a destination you must point your life toward the will and the glory of god you can't have a one-time experience on an altar and not change your direction and expect to be okay second thing it implies dependence when you walk you place one foot in front of another putting all your weight on that front foot for that step you must rest all of the weight of your soul on God's power not your own not by enticing words of man's wisdom but by demonstration of the presence and the power and the spirit of God Not, not by my own avail but depending on God to help me third walking implies dedication you must continually take steps perpetually calling on god to do in you what you can never do alone in other words we must reach for god and his spirit and realize without god in our lives every day uh, we're not gonna make it and we're not gonna win the war i don't care if you spoke in tongues last week Uh, have you had an encounter today i don't care what happened three years ago i want to know where are you at in the war today People say, well, well, preacher, I've had an encounter with God. Well, that was a one-time encounter. I can promise you that's not going to carry you to the end. I've got, I don't, I, I'm the preacher, but I've got to encounter him every day in order to keep the old man under control. Yeah. I've got to reach for spiritual things. I've got to feed the spiritual man every day in order to win this war. So John R. Cash was losing to Johnny Cash in the early years of riding and touring with the Sun Label. I just took some of you way back that included people like Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Carl Perkins. Cash seemed invisible, but he learned a method of coping with the difficult schedules, popping pills. He learned how the road, if you can't sleep up, if you can't keep up, don't slow down. Take uppers to keep going and downers to slow down. Earthly success brought inward destruction. As he later wrote in his autobiography, the person starts taking the drugs, but then the drugs start taking the person. His marriage fell apart. He was arrested for bringing drugs across the border to El Paso. His finances were in a mess. His his health had never been great, but now his whole body, mind, soul, spirit seemed to be falling apart, and then something happened. Paul had his Damascus road. Cash had his Nick. A Jack Cave, about 30 miles west of Chattanooga, Tennessee, there's a deep cave filled with cliffs, deep pools of water, and tens of thousands of bats, 150 feet wide, 50 feet high at the entrance. The cave goes miles deep into the earth, and at the peak of his musical career in the fall of 1967, Cash came to the end of the line. He hadn't eaten in days, he hadn't slept in days, and he was high on drugs, and he said, I'm going to end it all today. He said, I couldn't stand myself anymore, I wanted to get away from me, and if that meant dying, then okay, let it be. He said, I went to the cave with a flashlight and was determined to go as deep in the cave as I could go. He knew that if they would never find him. If he can get deep enough in the cave, he would be able to lay there until he died. This was it, in the perpetual night of a cave seemed to be the place to do it. He moved deeper and deeper into the cave until he was probably a mile deep. And he said his flashlight went out. So he laid on the limestone and said, this is it. I've lost the war. I'm just going to die here in this condition. He wrote in his autobiography, the absolute lack of light was appropriate for at that moment, I was as far from God as I've ever been. My separation from him, the deepest and most ravaging of the various kinds of loneliness I've felt over the years seemed finally complete. This is the moment. At some point in our lives, we come to the end of ourselves. That moment when all our opinions, our crutches and our strengths amount to nothing and there's nowhere else to run. And we arrive at that place to where we've got to make a decision. Jacob did for 21 years. Jacob had been away from his commitments to God. Esau was fierce and threatened to kill him. And Jacob did what Jacob always done. He ran. He ran to his mother, Rebecca's homeland there in some sort of poetic justice. Jacob was fooled into marrying the wrong woman, ugly Leah. The deceiver is deceived. And for the next 20 years, his wages would be changed 10 times. But when Jacob came to the end of the road, there was a call from Bethel. Bethel was the place he encountered God while running from his brother Esau. And Jacob had rested upon a high place one night. And that night the heavens were open in the dream. And he saw cascading angels ascending and descending upon a golden staircase. He then saw the Ancient of Days standing in the heavenly realm and heard God speak to him saying, I am the Lord God of Abraham. I'm the Lord God of Isaac, and I will give you this land, Jacob. I will bless your descendants. Your family will spread as, as far as the north, the southeast, and the west, and blessings will rest upon you. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you, Jacob. Behold, I am with you wherever you go, and I will keep you wherever you go. And there will come a day, though, Jacob, that I will bring you back to Bethel. I will not leave you until I've... I've done what I promised you I would do. There's nothing like a Bethel moment. And when Jacob awoke, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This this is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. And then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head. And he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. And he called the place Bethel, the house of God. And that moment meant something to Jacob because what it told Jacob is, you may stray away from this place, Jacob, but I'm with you wherever you go. And one day I'm going to send out a call that's going to bring you back to me for an encounter. And finally that call came. You've played games long enough. You live your life like you want it long enough. Jacob, it's time to come back to Bethel. Jacob, you're the original prodigal. You ran away from God. But now it's time to come back. So his trip. His trip home was not an ordinary affair. It wasn't orderly. It was sloppy, stop-start, herky-jerky kind of trip. Jacob didn't go from point A to point B. It took a while like some of us. Anybody took the long way to get back to Bethel? An outsider would have, would have looked at the route Jacob took to Bethel and said, This man is drunk or insane. But Jacob was slowly moving in Bethel's direction, even though many could not see it. Paul had his Damascus road. We see Johnny Cash in a cave, and Jacob is getting ready to have his moment at Jabbok. He received word as he moved toward Bethel that his brother Esau was coming to meet him with 400 men, and Jacob became paralyzed with fear because he knew that he couldn't withstand his brother's might. So he split up his family and possessions and sent them on ahead, but he went along to the river of Jabbok. And for the first time in his life, Jacob did not run. He said, I've got to deal with the mud that I've created. He could have turned and raced back to Heron, but he didn't. This man who had the long track record of swindling people could have found another person to hustle, another riverboat to practice his trade, but he didn't run. He faced the music. Maybe maybe he was sick of running, or perhaps he was tired of looking at the shady character he saw every morning in the mirror, or maybe he simply knew that he dealt from the bottom of the deck one too many times. Whatever the motivation, it was enough to cause him to come out of the shadows and cross Chabot Creek alone and face the facts. Don't fall Jacob too much, ma'am, or sir, because to some extent, there's a riverboat gambler in all of us. There's a dual nature seeking the greatest advantage to profit the most and to come out on top. And we run like Jacob when we make excuses, when we we loft opinions and and notions that distract and confuse others from the main issue, when we shift blame to other people. But the Bible says these words, Jacob was left alone. What do you do when there's nobody else to throw mud at? What do you do when there's nobody else to blame for the condition you're in? How do we respond when we're left alone with us in the mess of our mistakes? It just, where it's just us in the mud from the mess we made. No one to blame, no distractions, just us. And we have to decide what direction our life is going to go from this point. And we look at the mud in our hands. A solitary figure in the dead of night. Jacob was a lord. Until heaven showed up and the wrestling match began. The word Jabbok in Hebrews means Hebrew means wrestle, and wrestle is what Jacob did. He wrestled with his past, all the white lies, scheming and scandalizing. He wrestled with the situation, a spider trapped in his own web of deceit and craftiness. But more than anything, he wrestled with God. He wrestled with the same God who had descended down the ladder who descended the ladder at Bethel to assure Jacob that he wasn't alone. Even though he deserved to be alone, he met the same God who had earlier guaranteed Jacob that he would never break his promise, though one could hardly fault God if he did. He confronted the same God who reminded Jacob that the land prepared for him was still his, no matter the mistakes that he made. Proof again that God blesses us in spite of our lives and not because of our lives. And Jacob is left with the mud, but he's got one hand on a God that says, Jacob, I'm getting ready to give you an encounter. That's going to change your life. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly enough, scripture does not say that Jacob picked the fight with God. But Genesis 32 and 24 says this Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till the breaking of day god wrestled with jacob only later do we read that jacob wrestled back with god what was happening here is god had to settle something with jacob he grabbed a hold of jacob in the midst of that 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 mud and he said jacob uh, it's time for the riverboat gambler to become the patriarch of faith jacob it's time for the swindler to become the giver jacob it's time for a change Uh, it's time to bury this old man in the mud Uh, and it's time for a prince of god to arise Uh, jacob now is the moment jacob had to die that day so that israel could live the supplanter had to be planted where the new man could emerge old jacob had to be buried in the mud on the river of jabbok the new man israel had to be resurrected the old man had to be buried so that the new man can come up with a, a na- uh, with a new name and on the muddy banks of jabbok wrestled with God the entire night. He rolled in the mud of his mistakes and because Jacob wanted it so badly God honored his determination because when the match was over God said I'm going to give you a new name and a new promise. I'm also going to give you a limp and you're going to walk away from this mysterious night in the mud of Jabbok. But you're going to walk away a different man than you walked into this situation and your life will never be the same Jacob all because you had an encounter and you quit running from your promises Jacob figured out he figured out that the best way to deal with your issues is to roll up your sleeves and reach down in the mud and say I'm going to face this head-on we too should be ready to cross the creek alone and struggle with god ourselves listen nobody can get victory for you nobody can get deliverance for you nobody can nobody can take your hand and say hey i'm gonna do it for you know at some point you gotta cross the creek and you gotta say it's me and you god and i'm tired of the way that it's always been i'm looking you eyeball to eyeball and i want you to know i failed and i made mistakes but god i want to change in my life I've messed up. I've done some things wrong. We too should unmask our, unmask our stained hearts and grimy souls and be honest with the one who knows our most secret sins. Why are we covering it all up in the mud? No, go ahead and expose it and say, God, here it is. Jacob left with some mud on him from Jabbok, but he also left with a new identity. Listen, the mud doesn't mean anything after God touches your life. After his encounter with God, Jacob was a new man, Israel, a prince with God and favor with God. Notice the name Jacob does not have the divine name in it, but the name Israel El has the divine name in it. The mud doesn't con- contaminate the L. The L impacts the mud. I became a new creature. Can I tell you, when I came to the altar and I gave the Lord all the mud of my life... I- And I buried the old man. Josh went down. But I came up with a new name. There is no other name. There's no other name. Given among men whereby we must be saved. But the name of Jesus, I'm glad that God can take a muddy situation and turn it into a divine encounter. Don't you give up, ma'am or sir. You hold on a little bit longer. The mud won't last, but the encounter will. The mistakes won't last, but the encounter will. Wait till God's done with your story. I wanted a Jay Bach encounter today. Because without God, we lose the war. The battle was never with Esau, but it was within Jacob. Esau just pulled Jacob out of the rut and the mud of Jabbok. When the sun arose, Jacob had a new name, Israel. When the sun arose, Jacob no longer walked the same. He was different. The heavenly being had struck his hip, he it dislocated the femur from the hip socket. And during the struggle in the night, Jacob had been broken. He no longer walked with his shoulders back and his chin up, he walked with a limp. Jacob marched from that encounter, a changed man. And you please hear me today I would rather walk with my chin down and my shoulders down and with a limp, knowing I've been with God, than walk with pride and walk with my shoulders back, thinking I got I don't have it all figured out. I need God on a Sunday morning to step in because there's a war that is waging within me the riverboat gambler was buried in the mud of jabbok and a new man limped to meet his brother esau and he renamed the place pineal the face of God anyone ever had an encounter at the end of your rope where everything changed anybody ever been at your back to where all you see is mud but then God showed up and grabbed you and said what do you want your destiny to be and you said God I'm not gonna let go till you bless me musicians you can come the flashlight batteries had run out and cash was in pitch darkness but just like with Jacob alone in that cave someone met Johnny Cash I thought I'd left him, but he hadn't left me and I felt something very powerful start to happen to me, a sensation of utter peace, clarity and sobriety. He said, I didn't believe it at first. I couldn't understand it, but the feeling persisted. And then my mind started focusing on God there in that cave. I became conscious of my destiny. The cave was not his destiny. It was just a moment for an encounter. God had him right where he wanted him, deep in that cave, with no light and no idea how to get out of the cave, God showed up. And Cash begins to crawl toward what he thinks is the opening of the cave. He did this for a while until he felt a breeze blowing, and then he turned and crawled toward the breeze, around ledges, deep pools of water, over outcroppings of jagged rock. He climbed. Hour after hour, he crawled from the dark parts of that cave and he crawled toward the light with each inch at foot that he crawled Cash climbed through the mud of his life dealing with everything that he's ever done in his life why what Johnny Cash what would make him remember God see as a child he remembered when his older brother Jack had tragically died he said but before Jack died he saw the heavens open up And he saw the angels in heaven. And that call that day from Bethel to his brother, to his older brother, Jack, stayed with Johnny Cash. And in the hours of that cave, Johnny began to hear that same call. His mind became clear and he began focusing on God. He began to crawl toward where he hoped the cave entrance would be. Many had died in that cave, but what he didn't know, Johnny didn't know, was that during the middle of the night, his mother had felt something was wrong, and she got on a plane and flew to California to find her son, or flew to Tennessee to find her son from California. And his mother and June Carter had come to the cave and found Cash's car parked near the entrance. And she goes to the entrance of that cave, and she began to call out, Johnny, Johnny. There's nothing more gratifying than when a mother begins to call the name of their lost child. Johnny. And that call from home, that call that he heard his whole life, began to call Johnny Cash, and he began to follow his mother's voice out of that dark cave. And the rest of the story goes like this. There's a song that was written about it. He made it out. And then high above him shone a light, and he never would forget. Then he heard a voice say, Johnny Cash, I ain't through with you yet. Get up. I ain't through with you yet. I ain't through with you yet. Johnny Cash, get up. And he crawled out from beneath that ledge, and he felt a gentle breeze as tears and dirt and mud smeared his face. And he knelt down on the ground and he raised his hands and his eyes toward heaven. And he said, Lord, I'm going to be your servant from this day forward. And he writes for years in the future when Cash began to feel that he was being drawn back into that dark cave, He would read his Bible. He would pray. He would sing old gospel songs in the called of Bethel. Is what kept him out of the dark, remembering the call to battle. So now you flip and you go to Genesis 35, where Jacob's two sons had to defend their sister's honor. And Jacob knew because of what they did that there was gonna be, there was gonna be some repercussions, that the enemy was gonna come. Come and destroy him and possibly take his family. And God spoke to Jacob. He said, Jacob, don't worry. You go to Bethel. And you build an altar. And when you get there, I'm going to put a covering on you and a blessing on your family. And Jacob goes to Bethel. And to protect his family, Jacob brings a revival to his entire family. If you read it, it says that all Jacob's enemies became nervous when Jacob got to Bethel. I can't speak for everybody today. But I can tell you this. My goal is preach 35 minutes. I'm at 40, but they started the clock a little early. I'm trying to do better. I can tell you this, Brother Will. I don't know what's going on in our world today, but I can tell you that in 2020, the enemy has used every method he could to make the church not essential. Lockdowns. No reason to gather. You can go to Lowe's. You can go to the grocery store. You go everywhere you want to go, but don't go to church. It's not a, the call of Bethel is not essential. The house of God is not essential. And then I get online and, 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 and I read about China have the, has the most professing Christians of any other nation. And yet they're having to meet underground, but they're still meeting together because they know the power of getting together. Listen, the first church had an outpouring when they gathered and the last outpouring is going to happen at a gathering. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I've got two of the greatest parents in the world. I was raised in a good home. But mom and daddy didn't go to church. And I remember the little church I grew up in that my grandma would pick me up in one of them two-story vans. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Man, that thing had everything in it. Biggest van I've ever seen in my life. And she'd pick me up and she'd bring me to church. And I remember when I got there, 13, 12 years old, even younger, I would ask the the pastor, I would say, hey, sir, I know we got church tonight. Can I stay here all day? And he would say, yeah, and I would stay in that church all day long and I would walk down and get me a hamburger and come back. And I would stay there all day to church at night because there was something about the call of Bethel in my life. I loved it. Can I tell you, I know the church isn't perfect. I know the people here aren't perfect. I know we don't have it all together. If you find a perfect church, don't go. You'll mess it up. But there are places in the Bible that he calls holy ground. And I can tell you that the church is the plan of God to help redeem a lost world. And I hear the call of Bethel louder than I've ever heard it before in my life. I don't want to lose my love. Well, preacher, when they lock the doors and tell me I can't come, I'm going to come. I'm going to be there. No, no ma'am or no sir. If we can't come to church now and gather together, pray for one another and lift each other up, then what are we going to do when they tell us we got to go to jail for coming to church? Because we're always going to gather. The Bible says you can't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Revelation says this, and I'm done. This is what I feel today. And the spirit and the bride, the mother, us, say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You know what I hear today? I hear Bethel calling people home. Some of you have been running from God for so long and you walked into today, and you're saying, what's going on? Why am I even here? Ma'am or so I can tell you why you're here. There's been a call that's went out for Bethel and God wants to take you out of what you're in. You may be muddy from the decisions you made. There's a story from the prison reform manual from a half a century ago. A man had been released from prison and didn't know if he was welcome back home. And he sent word that if he was welcome, that they should tie a yellow ribbon in the old apple tree near the train tracks. Fellow travelers on the train heard the story and watched out for him. And the tree didn't have a single yellow ribbon. It had hundreds of yellow ribbons. Letting him know that he was welcome. I woke up today and I heard the call of Bethel. And I heard God say, grab a hold of me at your back and deal with the mud in your life. And then I closed my eyes, brother, when I'm telling you, God gave me a vision. And in my vision, there was was a tree. And there was thousands of yellow ribbons tied around it. And God spoke to me and said, tell them to come home. They've been gone for too long. It's time to come home. They think they've made too many mistakes and made a mess of their life. But I hear a call from Bethel saying, I've got you. Come home. You may have to stop by Jabbok and get a little money. But it's time to come back home. I don't know where I would be today without the church. I don't know where I would be without the call of Bethel. Every hour closed. looking around take me back God don't ever let me lose don't ever let me lose that feeling as a kid God to where I didn't even want to ever leave the house of God I remember thinking if I could just if I could just build a tent here and camp out my life would be in order there's a call today there's a call the house of God is essential people of God are essential there's a call ma'am or sir come back home if you haven't dealt with the mud in your life today's in time for an encounter if you've been if the enemy's been calling you back into that dark cave you better come out today ma'am or sir you better come out today because the enemy don't want you to answer the call of Bethel he wants you down and discouraged he wants you bitter and angry he wants you fighting against what you should be fighting for ma'am or sir don't 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 stay Thank you for watching today. If you would like to help us deliver content around the world online, please consider making a donation. Please go to littleriver.church and choose what option works best for you. Thank you and have a great day.